What's up, y'all? I'm Robert Glasper, and this is the LSQ Podcast. What's up? I'm Jenny LSQ. Welcome to episode 72 of the LSQ Podcast with the amazing Grammy-winning pianist, producer, songwriter, and arranger Robert Glasper whose work encompasses jazz, hip-hop, R&B, and more, and who has the kind of fuck-a-genre attitude that I love the most. In this conversation, Robert and I delve into some of the evolutionary moments in his creative journey, like when Roy Hargrove came to play at Robert's Performing Arts High School in Houston, and he realized that you could be a successful jazz musician without having to wear slacks. Or like when he and Bilal, whom he'd met on the first day of college in New York, would take the bus down to Philly to see neo-soul artists like The Roots and Common. And Common is one of the artists appearing on the highly anticipated third installment in his Black Radio album series. That's coming out on February 25th, and so, of course, we talk about that new album as well, and about how he approaches his creative process and collaborations in particular, uh, Black Radio 3, by the way, features new collaborations with Terrace Martin, Her, Esperanza Spaulding, I mentioned Common Already, Q-Tip, Ty Dolla Sign, and many more. Oh, also, where we begin here, um, when Robert and I connected over Zoom late last year, I had just been to see one of the performances in his annual residency at the Blue Note, and we started like this. I gotta say, right from right from go, that I was at one of those shows during the rest. Oh, nice! The first of the dinner party shows, and I also think, was, was uh, Denzel with Denzel Curry. Yeah, exactly, with yeah. Denzel Curry. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. It was also my Thank first you. indoor show since you know since oh wow since the reality awesome. we're in. But yeah, I'm. I want to start off and welcome to the LSQ podcast, Robert. Thank you jumping right in with you. <laughs> I want to start off by asking about that, about that Blue Note residency, which is epic and which is started as 50 something shows in, in the course of a month and is now up to more than 60, but uh, something you started doing back in 2018. And it's, it's a thing every year. So at this point in it, I'm just curious, like, are you starting to picture new phases of it and everything? Because your energy at that show that I saw was so like, you're constantly thinking of like, taking in everything that's happening in the room and calculating. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's uh, every year it's gotten bigger and more eyes are on it. And every year I have even just more people just wanting to be a part of it. Like, Hey, that, that, that's happening this year. Like literally people fly in to just be a surprise person to pop up and you know what I mean? Stuff like that. So it's becoming like a, a and I, I feel like it was, it really was right on time this year too. You know what I mean? Because of, People haven't been out. So I think it hit like a different way this time because it was like, oh, we needed it. And I needed it before I was always on tour, you know, and that was just another thing I had to do, you know, and I enjoyed it. But like this one, I, I needed it, you know what I mean? And then the audience also needed it. I think I think it was different on that front. But I, yeah, I have so many ideas. The owners of the Blue Note, are, their wheels are spinning. And, you know, I think we're going to try to take it to another place, higher, you know, thinking of some ideas to do, but definitely make it bigger and make it, make it a thing, 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 you know? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I'm fascinated about, about you as an artist is the way in which your world just keeps growing and growing and you find ways to keep it all connected. And it's like, it's all with the vision of who you are, who, you know, who mm -hmm. you are, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. 
And so fuck a genre, like who cares what the genre is. And these black radio albums that were now on the cusp of installment number three at the early part of 2022, around when this will be coming out, you know, has become such an amazing, not just collection of music, but phenomena where it's like on multiple charts and like, you know, what category for the Grammys is it? It could be any number of categories, which is my favorite kind of music. But seeing the residency, it's like, was there an overlap in these two ideas, this building an even bigger collaboration and like being more open to more voices? Like, did you picture those, the album version and the residency version? How have those developed together? Yeah, no, they definitely overlapped in a great way because I was able to, some of the people that I've worked with on, on this album, on Black Radio, I've never performed with live ever. You know, I was just fans of, or knew them but never really rocked yet you know what i mean there's a lot of people like that where i've I've hung out and everything but we just never really rocked and i know like once we rock it's going to be something so there's a lot of artists that were on black radio that are on black radio three but our first time performing was on the blue note stage this time you know her bj chicago kid d smoke who else you're saying that you recorded the track for black radio three with them before your first time in real life on stage together absolutely So they're already on the album, but this past October, last month was the first time we actually got a chance to be on stage at the same time. A lot of the time for my Black Radio albums, I've been on stage with a lot of the people. Well, definitely the first one, I I was on stage with pretty much everybody before. Pretty much everybody beforehand. I knew them for years, blah, 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 blah. Then the second Black Radio album, it was like half of the people I had rocked with and the other half I was just fans of and they heard about Black Radio once, so they wanted to rock too, so it worked out, you know? I mean, it must open up a whole other level of, like, ideas for you for that artist once you finally get to see what they do. Even, like, the show I saw with Denzel Curry, like, it felt to me like you were kind of, you know, I don't know, like, not testing him. I don't want to say that, but, like... It was. You were giving him the rules of, like, this is a jazz club, like, because he was a little nervous or he didn't, he felt a little out of his element. And so as a producer, like you must, whenever an artist that you're like, I know that it was great on the track, but let's see what happens when we try and do our thing in real time. It maybe doesn't always work because people have different skills, but like when it works, then there's, well, when we get to Black Radio 4, now we can do something, another level with that same person. Right, exactly. Yeah, it was exactly that because that's the thing. A lot of these people, when they 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 don't do small clubs like this, you know what I mean. So this is just a different thing. And some people, when they hear the word jazz, they they, they see blue note, blah blah, blah so sort of like jazz, and they're like, oh, you know, they're enamored by the name, the jazz. But it's like they don't know how to act when it's like there, you know what I mean? They don't know what to do, so they get nervous. But it's like this is the least. This is when you at least have to be nervous. You can do whatever because that's what this space is. You know what I mean? We come in here. And we just work stuff out and we everything's about a moment. Like the Bluno residency is all about moments, you know? And so that was definitely what happened with Denzel. And by the second night, he was all the way in. You know, I mean he totally got it. I think he it it, it, it he definitely stepped up as an MC, you know, even then, because he's not used to doing that. When I met Denzel, he was performing in front of like five thousand people in Europe, like some outskirts of Germany at a festival. It was like it was like punk rock stuff, punk rock hip hop, and he was like jumping in the mosh pits, and she, you know, it was crazy. But then now, now we go, and you got to fit in the room with three hundred people. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, 
how do I do this? What is this? You know? Yeah. It was cool to see him get more comfortable with it. Like I saw the first night, but it was cool to see him relax into And the second night we brought in Joy Badass the second night. And and they got a chance to go back and forth. It was so cool. It was really, really, really dope. I mean, it's that's so one good. of the things that's, that that seems clearly like a passion of yours. And I, I really want to get into just the playing and you as an artist thing, too. But when did you first notice that you notice up and coming talent? How, like how early on did that start for you where you're like, yeah, I do want people to pay attention to my thing, but also I can't help but want to help this other person come up, too. I think I kind of always had it in me because I was a young person being helped, <laughs> you know, so to speak. So, you know, I was a young person in college and, you know, Roy Hargrove said, hey, come on the road with me. Christian McBride said, hey, come on the road with me. You know, all these people, Russell Malone and Mark Woodfield, all these people that knew the best of the best, but they were like, oh, he's, he's a freshman in college. He's dope. I see something in him. Come on. You know what I mean? So that that's why that's always there you know what i mean i always keep my eye out for that and you know mediocrity is not where i live it's just not and i'm not i don't care about who has the hot song and they're new they have the hot song my shit is like a certain bar you have to actually have talent you have to actually be dope in a real way it's not about the hot song like fuck your hot song black radio is really about it's it's based based off of the live stage it's like okay cool but could you come to my residency and stand on stage and we do something together and it becomes something and it's dope. You know what I mean? So that's how I, I'm always coming from a live standpoint because I'm a live, I'm a jazz musician at heart. That's where it always lives. So I'm always coming for that. So I'm never stuck on the, Oh, the, this person, and that person, they have the house, you know, fuck that shit. I'm, I'm never about that. It's also that whole, like being open to other people being great, you know, like if you Absolutely. have that standard of excellence that you try and hold yourself to and that you appreciate when you see it unequivocally and then you see it in someone that you've never heard of before you can't deny it and that's like that's exciting and giving and giving them room to be great too because sometimes you can get a great a, a great young artist sometimes when people other people are really great then they take somebody else really great but then they don't give them room to be great for themselves it's like hey i wrote the song this is how you do it this is how it's going to be blah, blah, blah. And it's like oh okay you could have got anybody to do that shit because you let them be who they are also, you know? So my, my main thing is my thing plus you equals whatever that's going to be, you know what I mean? But there always has to be a plus you in there. And that's, what's great about, about Aunt Clemens. You know what I mean? He's like a, he just soaks up everything. He loves jazz. He loves gospel. He loves R&B. And he, lo- he loves so many styles of music. You know what I mean? And he writes like, like a, a, amazing. So he just, he comes in and he, he's giving me something and I'm giving him something. I love that back and forth. When did you first, just in life, feel music hit you in a way that felt important? The thing is, I've been around music my whole life because my mom was a musician. She's gone now. But she was a musician. And, you know, I was just talking about this the other day. I, she was a, she sang in, in the clubs and when she couldn't have find a babysitter, you know, I, she had me in the back of the club, you know, with... <laughs> waitresses and shit checking on me while she's on stage you know like literally I'm two three years old I remember being in rehearsals I, I was always around music all the time literally all the time so when it when it did hit me to this is what I want to be it was not because like oh I had a musical moment it was because I thought I was going to be a basketball player I was on the basketball team all through junior high school and then my freshman year of high school 
you know, you go from junior high to high school and you change schools to go to high school. So now there's all these other students you, you've never seen before because they're coming from other places. And when I, uh, when I got, when, when I was on the team in high school, I was, I was really, I, I was pretty good in junior high. When I got to high school, I was on the B team on the bench the whole oh, year. Humbling. And I was humbling. like, yeah. And I I was playing piano, like kind of like as a side thing. Like, yeah, I'm a, I know how to play. And I was actually, you know, pretty good. You know, there's like people always ask me to play songs at school. Hey, play this and play this one. Whatever a new dope hip hop song was out of whatever. Day. Robert, can you play some piano? You know, and, and I wrote that bench. And I, the story goes, I just slid the bench over to the piano and just. <laughs> 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 so it was really my dreams being shattered as a, as a, as a basketball player, which made me be like, you know what? Let me go ahead and give this music thing a shot. <laughs> but by but by that point, you were already just like skilled at piano. To that by that point, I could play. Yeah, I wasn't like amazing or anything, you know. But I, I could I could I could play. I was playing in church already, you know, and, and all that. And I, I could really play. But that made me in ninth grade. One that once I was riding the bench, that made me say, okay, you know what? Let me go ahead and go to this um, performing arts high school and get serious about piano, about music, you know. So because I also actually auditioned for. I'm from Houston. We have a school called High School for the Performing and Visual Arts. And um, I auditioned my ninth grade year and I got in, but I didn't want to go because I wanted to play basketball. So I didn't go that year. My mom was low key like, mm, you might want to, you should go ahead and do this music thing. She knew I sucked. <laughs> she knew I wasn't going to be a basketball player, but she was nice about it. And then once that happened, I went ahead and went my 10th grade year. That's when I really got serious and really like zoned in. There. Yeah, and, I, and all the school, all the students there are dope, you know. So it's just you're around greatness all the time, but they're your peers. You know what I mean? My best friend Brian Michael Cox went there. He's an amazing R and B producer now, um, you know. And and but see, we and that's the thing. I used to pick him up, and we would trade. He would put in R and B songs in my car, listening. He has the biggest R and B song probably in history right now. One of the biggest songs in history. He produced Mary J. Blige's "Be Without You." You know what I mean? He produced. The, all the, the Mariah Carey big hits within the last 15 years, all the Usher, Burn, Confessions, blah, 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 blah. And so, but it's funny, like, we were talking about that the last two nights ago. He was here for the residency for like the last few days. And it's like, yo, we're in school, but we're learning so much, even outside of school, just being around each other. You know what I mean? When you have friends that are tuned in to what they want to do, and you're tuned in to what you want to do, and you can actually have conversation about it. You can actually grow outside of the school. That was the best thing ever. And you didn't even realize at the moment that's what you were doing. But that's literally what we were doing. You know, um, Beyonce went there with us at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I remember going into the practice room with her during lunchtime and being like, hey, let's sing this song. Let's do, you know what I mean? It was like, it was those things, those, those were the seeds. And now you're seeing how they blossom. You know what I mean? And it's, uh, I'm, I'm so glad I made that choice because I definitely, um, it was not going to be a basketball player like I thought. It so it became your new obsession then at that point. Absolutely. Once you, once you had these friends who you were like, "What they're doing is amazing. It's not weird to be obsessed with this. I'm go no. I'm all I'm all in." And everybody at the school's obsessed. You, I have dancer friends. I mean, you walk down the hallway, you see them tapping in the hallway. Blah 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 blah. You see all this talent pouring out of all the rooms of the school. And it's like, oh man, it's so inspiring. I mean, you're being inspired even when you don't know you're being inspired. You're just around greatness all the time. So. It's hard not to absorb some of that. When did writing music start to be a thing for you? In high school. My first song I ever wrote was for a girl named Carla. 
that was my first time writing writing a yeah my first time writing I guess writing a jazz tune because I had written gospel tunes before before that was that the same year I think everything happened my eleventh grade year because I was the music director for this uh, in Houston we have there's a little outskirt city called uh, it's called Missouri City right outside of Houston um, that's where I grew up and. We started the gospel choir for the Missouri City, for Missouri City, so Missouri City Mass Choir. And I and we did an album and I wrote, my mom was the director and I wrote all the songs. So that was my first time, that, the gospel thing. And then right, my first jazz song for sure was Carla. That was my girlfriend in 11th grade. And I stole this, I stole some of the chord changes from Brandy. I told her when I met, when I met Brandy, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> you know, you have a real place in my in my life in the in my in my jazz life because you know on Brandy's first album she has a song called um love oh love love is on my side that's what it's called love is on my side and I took the first four changes of the of the of the verse and I made the jazz tune for Carla <laughs> and we played it at the at like the annual jazz concert you know what I mean everybody knew oh Robert wrote this song for Carla it was a whole big thing so that was my first time writing a jazz tune for sure and I think that's what I, that's what I tell people now. I think that's what started giving me my identity earlier. Because even when I got to college, people were like, "Yo, your songs are different. The way you write your songs are different," you know. And I think that's what gave me an identity as a musician. Because as a musician, normally when you, especially when you come up to school, everybody's playing standards. You're playing all the jazz tunes that everybody knows, and nobody's pushing you to write music really. And it's kind of hard to find who you are in other people's music, you know, who you truly are. And just, and just playing these jazz standards all the time. So, you know, I started writing, um, like I said, in 11th grade, and I kind of never stopped. And I, used my, and I used my influences of gospel and R&B, you know, playing gigs and shows with my mom and stuff, you know. So I have all this R&B in me and gospel in me and pop rock in me. My mom did pop rock gigs too. I know, look, Broadway gig, I know more Liza Minnelli and Bette Miller than a black man should. <laughs> You know, my mom, her, she was so eclectic. Like her music, it was she. She did so many different kinds of gigs during gigs during the week. So she'd be playing that music in the house. You know what I mean? So all that's all that's in. That's why I, I love Billy Joel so much. You know, and Elton John. And, you know, so many so many artists that I love, especially the ones that play piano too. You know what I mean? That that's a part of my thing. Billy Joel's one of my favorite piano players. You know. So then you came to New York for college and and mm -hmm. and that must have just kind of taken it to another level in terms of seeing the world that you actually like. This is where I can be. This is where I could live for a while. One thousand percent. I knew I wanted to go to New York. That's where I wanted to be. I was ready to go to a community college in New York. I didn't give a damn as long as it was in New York. You know, so at first I got a full scholarship to Berkeley. I was angry about that, but I was like, "Fuck." well, it's Berkeley, but it's not in New York because I already knew like. Everybody goes anywhere to school. If you do music, you're going to New York. After that, you're going to go. You know what I mean? I'm trying to beat everybody to it. <laughs> so not long after I got my full scholarship to Berkeley, I got a full scholarship to the new school in New York. Yeah, you did. Fuck yes. I mean, what you learn outside of the school is more than you're going to learn in any school, period, anywhere. I mean, the jam sessions alone, you know, that's really what makes you grow up. You know what I mean? Going to those jam sessions. That some places I would go, certain piano players would get, get on before me. And I wouldn't play after that. I was so scared. I was the best in Houston, in my mind. You know, I'm like, oh, psh. I get to New York. You get humbled so fast, you know what I mean? And you really know, okay, I really have to practice. I really need to shed. 
and you find out what you need to share, what you need, really need to practice, and you just work on that because you're getting your butt kicked left and right. And that's why a lot of people are scared of New York because they like being the best wherever they are. You know what I mean? But being the best wherever you are is different than being the best in New York. So, I mean, yeah, were you, was it just all day? It was either you were at school or you were practicing or you one were of at two. one of the clubs or something. One of the two. It was one of the two. It was either I was at school because, you know, some classes are in the evening and whatever, morning to the evening, blah, 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 blah. Then after that, you know, you can go to pick, pick your club and you can go to and have somebody in there. They're going to be killing. It's going to be good. You know what I mean? A lot of your jazz heroes are playing at the clubs. Like, oh my gosh, you can go here, see Mo Grimilla over here, go over here at the jam session and you're sitting next to Roy Hargrove. Like, what the hell? Is that how you and Roy Hargrove made that connection? Just from being a, from you being a young person in the scene and, and being humble and... Actually, me and Roy made a connection when I was in high school. He came to my high school, because Roy's from Dallas, Texas. I'm from Houston, for, for a four-hour drive. He came to my school to do a, a clinic because he was doing a concert in Houston. And he, him and his band came to my school in the afternoon of the clinic. And that literally changed my life. I've never seen a young black famous jazz band with all black kids to look like me. You know what I mean? A, a, a little bit, not much older, you know what I mean? Because most of the time when you're a kid in high school, you see jazz musicians, they look like your principal. You know, they have on the suits and they, you don't look at them and say, I want to, I want to be that. You don't do that because you want to be with what, what you see a lot of times, you know what I mean? But the, the cats, the jazz cats were dressing cool as if it was still 1960. Like the way you're dressing was dope, cool then, but for us looking at it, it's not cool because the worst of the world developed and now it's, things look different. Roy came in with like sneakers or, or like Timberlands and overalls and a, a cap and boom, I was like, yo! And playing the way he played, I was like, oh my God, this is cool. I want to do this. And that he's the one that made me want to not ever wear slacks again. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's yeah. one that made me be like, let me know, like, oh, okay, you can, you can, but then I had to learn, okay, you can do that once you get to a certain status. I got yeah. fired for not wearing, wearing, when Marcellus fired me for not wearing the proper, uh, <laughs> the proper gear uh, when I was in college. I did some gigs with Winton and, and I never wanted to wear a suit. I was like, I don't want to wear no suit. He was like, basically, you're not real hard, girl. Get your ass, you know, so I had to learn that. But once I got to a place where, I could call my own shots. I definitely was like, I want to dress like me. I want to dress like who I am and tell a story when I play. And you could, this whole thing is a story. You know what I mean? So I, I learned that from Roy. And, and then, yeah, just like, there's nothing like it. Just being around and being able to, to learn from uh, other students and be scared of other students there because they're so good. And that makes you want to be better. And that literally, and that, that's where I got my connection with Bilal, you know, um, in college where I met him the very first day of school, you know, and they put us on stage together to play, you know, the very first day to audition together, like to audition for, you know, you, they, that, that's where they rate you. Oh, you're going to be in the combo number one or this combo, you know, whatever. That was the time when I met Bilal, we were, after the very first day of school, we're like, okay, we're, we're best friends. This is, this is going to happen. And we're one of 10, we're like two of 10 black people at the school. <laughs> so we all knew each other after the first two days. Well, okay. And me and Bilal used to always go in the practice room and just play songs, write songs. You know, we're always together doing music. And one of the teachers, Arnie Lawrence, passed away now, but he started in this school. He walked in the practice room one day, like, you guys should really record. I have a friend who has a studio. You can use the studio for free. I already talked to him. After school, 
go over to his house. He lives around the corner. And he was the drummer for this very famous rock band in that time called the Spin Doctors. Wow. Um, his name was Aaron Comus was his name. So we, me and Bilal started going over to Aaron Comus's house after school all the time and just recording. And Bilal got signed. He ended up getting a manager. They took one of the songs that we did and took it to Jimmy Iovine in L.A. And that's when Bilal got signed to Interscope Records. And that's why it's such an important time for me, because in that time period, that's when the Neo Soul movement was booming. 1998, you know, it was just booming. And The Roots were doing all these jam sessions and Bilal's from Philly. So he would take me to these jam sessions and introduce me to everybody. Quest Love, Common, boom, 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 Erica, boom, 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 all these people. And we were even taking the bus to Philly sometimes on Tuesday nights, I think. They had this thing called the Black Lily which was also a jam session that really helped birth the neo-soul whole movement there. And I would go there with Bilal. So that's really what got my other side of like the whole, my neo-soul R&B side cracking because I was Bilal's music director. So going on tour with him, opening up for Erica, opening up for Common, opening up for these people and just being in that world was like that. I was doing all that. And that, that had its own roots in what it was doing. At the same time, Roy Hargrove took me on my first world tour. And this is all while I'm in college. I'm, this is all while I'm a sophomore. So I'm, on, I'm halfway on tour with Roy Hargrove and Christian McBride. And then halfway on tour with Bilal, opening up for Erica and Common. And so that was my world, doing those, doing those things, like balancing those two things, you know. Um, and that's really what shaped my thing of like, okay, I'm on this side and I'm on this side, you know. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, you talk you talk about the the at school, you are being sort of reminded of the, these traditions of jazz or just like music traditions, even more generally that the foundations that you have to practice a lot, that you have to be able to play at the drop of a hat, play any, you know, that you have to have technical proficiency. Uh, but on the other hand, this this more progressive idea of like, what is a genre? Why are we being hemmed in by this? Why do I have to wear slacks? Can I still <laughs> can I still play jazz and sweats? It was the most. It was a jazz. Some it can be the most in prison freest thing ever. <laughs> it's like you're free, but wear these uh, shackles and on your hands and your feet. All right, go ahead. It's like wait a minute. What do you regard now at this point as kind of your not rules for jazz, but you know, even things like, like I was saying at the, at the Blue Note, how, you know, you would say something like, it's a jazz club, like you understand what that is, or like what <laughs> jazz is, but I know you also like in deep admiration for Miles Davis and understanding of his philosophy about like, you gotta, you yeah, gotta absolutely. keep developing and moving it forward, keeping it contemporary. Like, absolutely. have you sort of developed your own like philosophy of jazz? Yeah, it's not even my own. It's really the Miles Davis's. It's really Miles's, <laughs> really like, because I, I, that's where Herbie adopted it from. And that, you know, that's where all, all the kids adopted. That's where Roy Hargrove adapted it from. You know what I mean? Without Miles doing that, you know, even Thelonious Monk, there are certain cats that I, I deem like superheroes in the, in that, that really like just broke the mold in, in not just playing music, but just even the style of, you know, the swag of it. You know what I mean? Um, which is part of it too. But yeah, because the, 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 the funny thing is a lot of these, jazz police they're quick to be like i don't hear the tradition in your music where's the tradition and it's all about tradition 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 but the reality is the tradition of jazz is that it changes that's the tradition so if you really want to be a jazz police 
and talk about the tradition of it, the tradition is that it should change. And it should change from the, every 10 years it changed. I mean, it's just, it, it, in, in any genre, it's, it's a, it's a bummer that there, there do get to be these gatekeepers. Those gatekeepers are people who decide who's even up for a Grammy, you know, absolutely, and what category they're up in and, and absolutely. You know, for the Grammys and like, absolutely. and, and, and sometimes people get really fucked over by being too uncategorizable or something like that. For sure. You're fighting to be modern. You're fighting. People say I'm, a lot of jazz, a lot of people say, oh, you're the future, Robert. It's like, no, I'm just now. But jazz is so far behind. It now seems like the future. But it's really, I'm just relevant. I'm just being, doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm doing what Miles was doing. I'm just being right now, who I am right now, using my influences and being now. And you don't always have to like it. I was born in 1978. So, you know, some of the new hip hop I don't like. But I appreciate it because it's moving. It's changing. It's not what it was 20 years ago, which is a good thing. So I have to at least respect it and understand that it's going to change. And that's just what it is. You know what I mean? That's how everything evolves. Everything has to evolve. You're not going to like all of it. But some people are scared of things to evolve because they don't understand it. You know what I mean? Because they don't, they'll feel like they're not a part of it anymore. It has to stay the same so I can be a part of it. I can have something to say. People have to get rid of that. So I know you're a, you're definitely a multitasker. You're always doing lots of things at the same time. And are there yeah. other things you're working on that you're stoked about that we, that you want to mention? Yeah, I've, um, I've done, I've really dove, dove, dove into um, film scoring. Yeah. I was doing a little, I was doing a little of it before the pandemic, but um, during the pandemic, I really kind of dove in. And so I, I did this one series, me and my friend, Derek Hodge, did this one series called uh, Run the World, it's on stars. And then, um, now I'm working on two. Me and my boy Terrace Martin are doing, me and Terrace are doing a lot of stuff together. We kind of formed a production team. Um, you know, me and Terrace knew each other since we were like 15 years old at jazz camp and shit. So we've, we've definitely known each other a long time. But we're scoring the new Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the reboot, the serious version. It's like a serious, serious series. There's a real story of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That's a real person. And it's a real story. Quincy Jones took it and made it a comedy. It's actually a real story, a serious story. Wow. So this is the, yeah, I forget the guy's name, the real guy, but it, it's a, this is a real actual story. So we're doing the real story of that. Um, we started already that, and we started the, um, the series um, about this, this movie back in the 70s called The Spook That Sat By The Door, about a CIA agent, first the first black CIA agent, you know? Oh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And Herbie actually scored it in the 70s, the movie. So now they're going to do a series on it and me and Terrace are scoring that. Yeah, the scoring um, stuff. I mean, you've been doing this for a year. You've been doing scoring stuff for years now. Like, what is it about that that I can tell just by the look on your face? You love this shit, too. Like, what? what yeah. What? You know what it is? Because I've always been told. I was always told that my music is cinematic. Ever since I started like writing songs and like making albums and stuff, people have always said, oh, you your music is cinematic. You should really do music for, for movies. Boom, 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 boom. And so it feels good when I when I do do it because I feel like, oh, there, there, there is a connection there. My music is cinematic. Now, now that I've actually put it to music, to put it to a movie, like, oh, okay, I, it makes sense, you know? Yeah, right before the pandemic, also I scored this movie called The Photograph. Before that, my, my first movie was this Miles Davis movie called uh, Miles Ahead that I did with Don Cheadle. And... Um, it's two different things, good and bad. There's the, I don't have to tour. I don't have to leave the house. 
You know what I mean? I could I could stay home. Well, if it pays enough, I could stay home <laughs> and not have to go on tour. Because that's the thing. I love to tour. I just don't I don't love having to tour. Most musicians have to tour. You have to. That's literally where you get your check. Because nowadays, especially nowadays with streaming and stuff, you, you can't depend on your music being sold to provide for you and your family. So you have to tour. But scoring is a way that I don't have to go anywhere. I could be home. But it's also, it's different. It's good because it's, it work, it's working a muscle for me because usually when I write songs, I'm at my leisure of time of what, of what I'm writing about, when I'm writing it. You know, I kind of do, do my thing. When you're on the clock with someone else and it's, about, it's a scene and it's like, hey, this is, now you have to pay attention to their feelings, what the director wants, what they're trying to, whatever emotion they're trying to evoke in this thing to the people. And you have to try to make that happen through music, even if you don't agree. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> it's totally different in that respect. And there's a time on it. It's like, hey, we need this by, you know, by two o'clock. Yeah, and know, it's only 20 boom, boom, boom. seconds long. So just And it's 20, 20 seconds, seconds long. Exactly. And then they'll come back and say stuff like, could you make it less cheery, but not too cheery, kind of melancholy, but not sad, and a little, <laughs> bit, up, a little bit upbeat, but make it feel slow? What? <laughs> You know, it's like, what the hell? You get down. You like, like the challenge, though. You like the challenge. Yeah, better. it works out. I mean, yeah, I, I like the challenge. Sometimes it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know what I mean? But but it is it is a it, it can be a challenge, but I'm up for it. You know, so it's it's something new and it's something that I'm enjoying, you know? Yeah. And you get to do the other genre stuff that you like maybe feels like, OK, exactly. it would be inconsistent or it's not the vibe you're going for with your stuff under your own name. Absolutely. But then over here, you're like, sure, I'll write a song like that. I got I Boom. got that. Exactly. Calypso? Oh, I'll do that. Cool. I did a Calypso hip-hop beat the other day. I was like, oh, shit, I just did that. <laughs> That's what the director wanted. Kind of want a Calypso, but hip-hop, but not. Like, okay. <laughs> Robert, thank you, thank you so much for connecting to talk with me. It's been great to get to know you a bit. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, thanks again to Robert Glasper for that fascinating conversation. He's up for a couple more Grammys at the awards that are happening in early April, and I look forward to his victories there. And yeah, Black Radio 3 comes out later this month on February 25th. And we are now at the end of the episode. If you want to get the next one right when it comes out, make sure you subscribe. You can reach me with feedback or questions on Twitter at JennyLSQ. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time.